Holy Spirit, we just ask you that you would come, that you would guide our conversation this afternoon. Father, we just uh, we consecrate the next few hours to you, and we just ask you to be a leader in this, that it wouldn't just be the opinions of men, and but that there would be a, a holiness to it and a desire to... <laughs> Seek out the truth in all things, Father, to be diligent and found uh, trustworthy in the scriptures and a good steward of your word. I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us walk together in, in discussion and that you would bring scriptures to mind that relate to other ones, Father, and that you would come, Holy Spirit, with uh, revelation and knowledge concerning your Son. In Jesus' name, I thought we would uh, see if we could do kind of a Holy Spirit-guided question and answer and Bible study together, and uh, see what the Lord would, uh, issues the Lord would have us work through. So could we, uh, could we now maybe look at the Justified by Faith Alone, the soul Oh, theory, yeah, uh-huh. And James compared to Romans. You know, again, there's no easy answers to age-old questions, right? And uh, it's a matter of the analogy I always use is <clears throat> getting a ship that will get the job done, you know, get across get across that that river or, or sea to get to the other side. And we're not dealing with plugging every hole and having an airtight. We're just, uh, you know, something that floats and is probable and, and uh, accords with the rest of Scripture and these kinds of things. So, you know, the debate between James and, and Paul is is an old one and difficult to resolve. And so, um, it's clear, I think some of the assumptions, conservative assumptions that can be made about, about it is that the guy who wrote the book is the same guy that sent the guy, the folks from Judea to Antioch and in Galatians 2, that were sent from James, and that James is sympathetic to the circumcision group. And, and I think that's, um, you know, you'll get arguments against that, but I think we can say that fairly fairly for sure. And, and that even in Paul's day, probably Paul and James loved one another as brothers in the faith, but probably, Paul probably wouldn't have gone on a preaching tour with James. And that it's okay to leave some tension in the relationship. You know, like uh, Paul says in Galatians 2, as for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't judge by external appearance, those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who is at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, and they recognized the grace given to me. Right? So, there's this kind of feel of, until they recognized the grace given to him, there wasn't really the right hand of fellowship being extended just yet, you know, whatever they are. 
you know, makes no difference to me, reputed to be pillars. So the language, you know, indicates that there was some tension between Paul and, and the church at Jerusalem. And, and that James was clearly the, the leader in that situation. He was the one administrating the, the, the meeting in Jerusalem in Acts 15. So the, the accusation, I guess, you know, before we get to James, the accusation that it needs to be answered is in Romans 3. So Romans 3, 5, But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. <clears throat> or so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying? Right? So it's, it's got the same feel as Acts 21. It's being reported that you are teaching the Jews amongst the dispersion, to turn away from the law of Moses and not, you know, circumcise their children. And so it's got that same, we're being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result, meaning mm -hmm. let us sin to glorify God's mercy towards us in the cross. Their, their condemnation is deserved. So... Again, another assumption is that is that the circumcision group is the is the one primarily making this accusation toward Paul, and this is the only time that I can think of where Paul references an accusation. Like he'll make a rhetorical, like we looked at. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so so that grace may increase? By no means. So that may or not be an accusation. It may just be rhetorical. But Romans 3 is where you get a clear, we are being accused of saying this. And the assumption is, is that the accusation is coming from the, from the circumcision group, of which is centered in Jerusalem, of which James is the head of the church in Jerusalem, and it's assumed he's sympathetic he may not self-identify with the circumcision group, or he may. I'm not. I don't know how that, you know. But he's in the mix in light of, of Galatians one. So, in that context, the accusation gets stated in uh, James two. Um, so you have the whole thing. You know, what good is in my brothers? Verse fourteen. If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds. And such faith save him. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, daily food, if anyone says to him, etc., etc. And you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor, verse 22, his, his work and his faith, his actions and works were functioning together. And the scriptures fulfilled Abraham, believed God has credited to him. Verse 24, you see, that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And so the argument is that 
even demons believe, even demons have faith, but they don't have works to, to prove their faith. And so, I don't think Paul, I think what James is, what he is condemning is what Paul is being accused of, but it's not what Paul is saying, right? James is condemning, let us sin all the more that God may be glorified, because it's by, it's by faith alone. It has nothing to do with our works. Whereas Paul is saying, no, it's on the basis of faith that then produces works in mm. keeping with repentance. And, and, and I think Paul would just as much say, of course, it's not by faith alone, mm. but it is primarily on the basis of faith. Mm. And then if your deeds, if you don't produce deeds in keeping with repentance, the Holy Spirit's going to keep on you. And if you if you willfully sin, your faith isn't any good anyway. You're not justified before God anyway. You have to there has to be a repentance that activates justification justification by faith. You know, there has to be a repentance of known sin in order to that the sacrifice applies on on your behalf. Whereas the accusation is you can have known sin. And the sacrifice applies. And I think that's the justification by faith alone that James is, is condemning. And I, I assume there's, though you don't get a lot of reference to it, but there is, you know, the grace is a license for, for licentiousness. I, I assume there is a perversion of what Paul is preaching in the church that that James is addressing and that Paul himself would reject also. You know. But that's the best I can make of the situation and still reconcile the two worlds together that in the end Paul and James would be on the same page, even though James uses the, the face value of the language sounds almost like James and Paul are like arguing against each other, which I don't think they're arguing. I think they would both condemn justification by faith alone. But, you know. And I think you get that. Like, I think Luther erred on that side because, I mean, saw it in the notes. I just pulled it straight from Luther memory, you know, and that was his main drive was justification by faith alone and by the scriptures alone, and you get what has been produced in, in the Reformed tradition, that, it, that there's no agency of man involved. There's nothing on our part to do except just to assent to it and agree that it is. But the demons agree with that. There has to be a, a repentance that produces works. And, you know, the, the forgiveness is based on the, on the state of the heart and the basis of faith, but there actually has to be a change that, that uh, coincides with what you're repenting about. Mm. You know. So, um, just for a little bit of pushing a little bit more. Um, so, what do you like do with? I, I totally get the two being congruent, but what do I do with the actual language of justified justified by works that James is saying? Um, don't know what to tell you. I think Paul would say, 
I don't know. That's fine. You know, that's fine. I, I think it's it's probably an issue of uh, differing language on the part of the two. I mean, you you read any commentary on James two, and there's just no, there's only so many options in the situation, and so you can either say they meant different things by the words, or they simply had differing expectations. <coughs> One was right, the other was wrong, or there's a there's a tension that is that is held that. That James is just using the language of justification by works to to say the same thing that that Paul is saying, you know, like we saw yesterday with Acts Acts twenty six. King Agrippa was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. This is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts to try to kill me. And so, I mean, I, I think Paul would probably use the language of prove, prove their repentance. And uh, whereas James would say, no, their deeds are part of how God accounts salvation on that day. You know, a verse that, that might sort of be the miss, I'm not a a Bible scholar, but sort of a verse that I, I, I sort of held on to is, is, you know, this is in John, and it's like the work of God is this to believe in the one He has sent. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is believe, because when I believe He does, He is the right hand of God, and I believe He's coming back, and I believe He was God then I can read the, 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 the things in red and my work is to believe and then my life will function mm. out of that belief. That's good. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, no, i got to believe this. And once I believe it, I cannot store up treasures on earth for moths and rust to store. Yeah. I can take my father's teaching and I can throw it away. And I said, I believe that you sit in the highest heaven. I believe that you're coming back. I believe that you put your spirit in me. And I believe. And then the function is I can work through the script. You know, it, 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 it's it's what comes first. The belief right. comes first. And, and then action follows. Good. Out of the, out of the heart. You know, the flow of the right. mouth. And, and the work. And it's work. Out, yeah. And understand, it's work to believe. And that's what I was talking about. No, it's work to believe that you're sitting in there and it matters. It's work to believe that he's there. And, and I go through this with me all the time, man. It's like, I don't see you, God. You know, this is, I look so stupid. I'm, you know, we've just done so many things that don't add up. But it adds up according to this. Right. So if he's really in the highest heavens, if he's really coming back, I did well according to the words. But what I did from his belief, not trying to produce something for him, but to believe that, no, you, you, you did speak these words. And I will be judged by these words. But it, it brings peace to your soul when you're doing it from belief. Not, not, I'm not gaining anything. Sure. Yeah. Would you say that belief and works, though maybe belief comes first, and it's a different uh, timeline that they, does that make sense? Um, that they're synonymous? Because it's, a, it's the metaphor that comes to mind, which definitely breaks down, is like, I can believe that I'm a really generous person. 
but I don't give anything to anybody in any capacity, but I really believe that I'm a generous person. So the reality of the work of generosity or whatever yeah. is not evident in my life, but I believe that I'm a generous person. And if you asked me, I would say I was. So you can have all the language and the even understanding and the belief, but without the works, you know what I mean? It's not a reality in, in any measure. And so what you, I hear what you're saying, and I'm, it kind of makes me feel like just for in the dialogue of what we're saying, it's maybe belief and the works, they're synonymous, they're the same. Uh, not synonymous, but they're one reality, and without one or the other, it's not a reality. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. I was meditating on this last week, exactly what you read, Charles, and uh, I was taking over First John 3, verse 23. It says, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, which I think he's alluding to John, uh, John 6.35, which you're talking about. Was, that, was it John 6.29? Yeah, John 6.29. Yeah. Uh, this is, so anyway, First John 3.23, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And I thought, there it is. You know, yeah. There's a sense of mm-hmm. believing and, and the overflow. Ought to be. I'm going to love the way he loves. I believe in him. And I don't know. That's just a little parallel thought that was on my mind last week because I was right there with you, with you talking about your Well, I think of it sometimes like, well, I think of it's like if somebody says, I believe the house is on fire. Uh-huh. Well, do they believe the house is on fire? Are they sitting in their lounge here going, no, I believe the house is on fire. I'm getting ready to burn. It's, no, if you really believe the house is on fire, you're responding mm-hmm. a certain way. So I think it's kind of synonymous that now yeah. if you really have faith, if you really believe what he says in here, your actions are going to display that. I mean, mm-hmm. just like a burning house. If, yeah. if, you, if, if you wouldn't, or i got to do this thing of, okay, dependent, I mean, this is crazy, but with the whole house thing, well, no, it's kind of like if somebody thought their home was going to be on the Christmas tour or they thought their house was on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, their house, if you thought your home was getting ready to be on the Christmas tour in three weeks, you would be preparing your house. Mm-hmm. That would be your action. If you thought your house was on fire, you would be getting out of your house. So if, you're, if, if you thought your house, does that make sense? Yeah. Your actions are, the, are what you really have faith in. So you can say all day long, well, I think my house is on fire. What do your actions show? Uh-huh. Which right. that's, I mean, that's exactly what James is saying. Yeah. yeah. Is your, your faith without deeds is dead. Yeah. You know, one without the other doesn't work. Which I think Paul would say the same thing. He's just he's driving at the particular aspect of not only which comes first, but you know if if your hand causes you to sin, then. You, you, you have to repent mm-hmm. and prove it by your deeds, but you, you, you have to repent, and the issue isn't whether you repent or not, it's, it's how in the equation did your sin that your hand did get equated. Because that thing's not in the past. That thing's present before, before God eternally, mm-hmm. you know, and so... James would, I think Paul and James would say, yeah, if you repent, 
you know, from stealing with your hand, then you have to prove it by stop stealing or cut off your hand or do something that, that, that proves you've actually repented and you're not willingly sinning. But that doesn't acquit. Like, that doesn't deal with the sin. That doesn't deal with the restitution of what you stole. You know what I mean? Like, you have to deal with the, the what's the basis upon which God actually acquits the, the sin that's happened. And that the basis of that thing is the sacrifice and the mercy of God. Whereas, you know, the, the basis of what the circumcision group might say is, no, it's on the basis of you're not stealing anymore right, right. that you that that sin is dealt with, and Paul would say no, it's not on that basis. It's base, it's on the basis that you believe that God has dealt with that sin by the sacrifice, and then it will be acquitted. But if your basis is just on the works that you do, then that doesn't deal with the with the repercussions of that sin at all. Don't you believe it? I mean, this is kind of whatever. But don't you think if you really have faith and believe that you walk in the light, that, that there is a point where you do want to do, you do want to follow his commandments, you know, because you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, absolutely. You do that because you really agree with what he says and you go, no, it's life. It's not, okay. it's not the law. You have the ways of life. I follow those ways. You know what I'm saying? So your faith, it's like you start to see, oh, no, your commandments, they're right. You know what I'm saying? They're not, mm. not to say that you'll quit doing things wrong, but it becomes a, well, I don't know, I guess that's not No, that's, a, that's definitely the ideal, like we do with our kids. You know, son, don't, don't do that. This is the reason we have the rule. We, and you need to explain it to them, and, but then they'll get in a little... They'll get sideways on this issue because they have desires towards these things. So, I mean, I think the ideal is that, yes, we, we seek God and we ask for help by the Holy Spirit to, to walk in His ways. And But the reality is situations, we all have bodies of death, and we all do. There, there are times when you have to fight against stuff and flesh gets the best of you mm-hmm. in the situation, you know. For a number of years, I've been studying. I would just, you know, faith, biblical faith looks like it's, it's belief times action. You know, or it's belief and obedience. And then, you know, because you're putting together Paul and putting together Jane. And then, I reckon it's three, four, five years ago, I was trekking through the book of Hebrews and studied it for, you know, a while. Um, I came to chapter 10, and I was like, oh, my goodness. There's a third piece, and I, I never saw this except that it, it opened up to me. But Hebrews 10, I'll just read a couple of passages, a couple of verses. Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, 
course he's come to glory about it too. Yeah. Um, he was coming will come and not delay. My righteous one shall live by faith. Romans 1. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Of course, it's linked to the day of the Lord. And so I just, you know, belief, it was like belief, obedience, and endurance are all a part of biblical faith, I believe. And this is the piece that just, you know, it, it arrested my mind and heart when I saw that biblical faith has that endurance or this, if, if you're steadfast unto the day of, you know, it's this endurance unto the day of the Lord. If we take that away, which, you know, and so anyway, it just, that was a very, very awakening to me. It's also belief times action, belief times obedience. But then there's this notice, belief, obedience, and it is an endurance into the day of the Lord. That's true biblical faith. So, anyway. Can you talk about the John 3 stuff? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'll, yeah, let's see else anybody else um, yeah. just kind of working through those ideas. If this is wrong, you know, you can certainly correct me. But I have to have faith that He put His Spirit in me and that I am the. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and what I'm warned against is that old man that wants to get out of the baptism thing. And say, no, this is who you are. Am I right to say, no, no I'm the righteousness of Christ. I, he put his spirit in me. Yeah. And that's who I am now. And by belief in the new birth, I can live as Christ wants me to live. And I do it through faith in the new birth and the spirit within me. And I have to tell the old man to shut up. That's sort of the way I look at it. But, but would you say that's a... No, absolutely, because it's exactly the right way to look at it. Just stick that thing on the timeline. Where it's and explain Romans. that to me when you say that, like Romans eight. <laughs> well, yeah, just like you know, a couple times later, like Romans thirteen, where the old man walked in darkness in the deeds of this world. You know, the deeds of darkness. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension, jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so, the old man, you know, he, he lived in the darkness without hope and without God in the world. The new man puts on Christ Jesus and lives as in the daytime, as we're designed to and as we're destined to, and kind of get the same same dynamic in Ephesians 5 where it says, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things God, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Do not be partakers with them. For once, for for you once were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, truth. Find out what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of, of darkness. And so you are immoral, you are impure, you are greedy when you don't 
war against those things. And right. Those, when you just, you are them, and you sit there and you just indulge them. But you're not that when you say that's not who I am in God, it's not who I've been created to, it's, you know, putting on Christ Jesus in the new man, but that process is informed by the timeline. It's informed by how you're created in the image of God and what you're destined to in the daytime, in the age to come. You know, and so like Romans 12, where he's talking about, therefore I urge you, brothers, mm -hmm. in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of service. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this age. It's literally this age, or this world. I mean, you can think of it either way, this world versus the world to come. But the conformity of the mind and, and heart is you're putting off drunkenness and orgies and the, and the things that the, the pagans live because they don't have hope and without God in the world. We have hope in God in the world. We know where things are going, and we renew our mind according to that pattern rather than the pattern of this age. So like in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace by no means? We've died to sin. How, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, have, may live a new life. Of course, the new life is in context, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we'll certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We know the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with and we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. doesn't mean you're not affected by sin. doesn't mean you're not in a body of death. When you're a slave, that thing owns you. That is you. And you just obey that thing. And you just walk down that path. When you're not a slave, it doesn't mean you're unaffected by it, but that thing doesn't own you, and it's not right. who you are, and you come into conflict with that thing. A slave doesn't come into conflict with his master, you know. He submits to it. And so, his, I don't think his point is that we no longer struggle with issues and sin, but the reason he came and died on a cross is because we sinned. And we recognize that. Like, I did this, this, and this. I deserve a lake of fire and the wrath to come. Mm -hmm. But he did this because of my sin. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I recognize it and I repent of it. Like you're saying, like, the house is on fire. The day of wrath is coming. Why? Because I did this, this, and this. And I have these thoughts. And you can't consciously just go on making the fire happen when you mm -hmm. know what the result is <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying like it's the the wrath of God comes upon man for sin and therefore we don't live in it like we're dead to that because mm -hmm. we know it leads to the wrath of God and so we flee it continually and mm -hmm. cast ourselves on the sacrifice for what God has done for it you, you know what I'm saying I think about guys like a, a disciple guys you know what what I'm trying to convince them that something really happened at their conversion. And is that a good way to convince them? You've you got a belief problem. You know, I've got a guy that, is, you know, just hmm. a lot of the guys I work with just have major 
issues. You know, yes, I'm born again. You have to, you have to believe that something that God put His Spirit in you that that's no longer those thoughts are in your head, but that's no longer who you are. Yeah. That you've been created new, and you've got you've got to fight to believe that 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 that, that man is coming back. That he really did die on the cross. That he really was the Son of God. And this is sort of a crazy story. But in that crazy story, you raised your hand, and this God put His Spirit in you, right. and that spirit has nothing to do with sin. And because you join the faith, because you reach and you said yes, yeah. that you're created new. But is that the wrong way to disciple? No, I think it's I think it's the perfect way to disciple. Okay. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, men, you know, you, you, what, well, you just they're just going just like this on sin constantly. That they just it's, it's three days and they're out, and, and then they, right, right. you know, they just. Or, or back to whatever it was. It's like, no, you've got a belief problem. Right. You, you got to quit fighting this. You, you couldn't do it before. You, you've got to believe that you're transformed. Hmm. My question kind of goes along with what you're saying, but it's kind of veering in the... It's the same direction, but a little bit uh, to do with... This is a huge question that I've just struggled in, and I have just no clarity about, and haven't really given much pursuit to knowing about and I just don't know what you would say about this but just like the whole uh demonic issues which are definitely real and there's just some situations that close family friends a horrible situation that happened um where a young guy I know was molested when he was younger and from that time on and they didn't find out till he was about 17 or something and from that time on he had hidden demonic issues that he kept hidden from everybody. And then by the time he was about 14, things started happening that were out of his control that he was unable to, you know, keep hidden. And it's escalated and escalated. And I've known of other situations where just demonic addictions, um, it it hasn't always, like, with him, it's looking kind of like a schizophrenic type of a thing. And just, like, very... I mean, he says it's a demon, and he has clarity about that, you know, and stuff. And so it's like... Kind of, you're talking about, you know, it's, you say yes to Jesus and you're, you're a new creation, you know, it's like, and you have to fight to believe in that. And kind of some of the questions that I've had that you just get crazy ideas about, and I just don't know, biblically, you see Jesus casting out demons, you see the reality of that, but what kind of authority, you know, I've been taught that it's, it's by agreement, and then that demon or whatever has access but i just don't have clarity on how to how do you um pray into that how do you uh perceive that because to me in maybe in humanism when i look at that situation i feel like he was a little boy who was taken advantage of by somebody who was i mean his uncle you know it's like a family member who he should trust you know what i mean and and they're serious issues and it's a justice issue against him you know but then it's like romans one there's no excuse uh for a lack of the knowledge of god i mean there there isn't and so you have to balance those out but you know i want to give him an excuse but at the same time biblically there is no excuse but it's just this heart-wrenching thing of like what do you do with those situations and what is the whole demonic authority thing and how much of that is I know people who have, like, serious hunger for the Lord 
and really want God and have had 10-year addictions to uh, bulimia or, you know, just things that like that are, a, it's like a demonic thing and they really want freedom in it, you know, and it's like, and they're, they're going after accountability and they're repenting and they're confessing. And so I just have been confused about that. What is the, I mean, just do you have any kind of thing that you could you could steer me in a direction to understand a little bit more or is it just kind of one of those things where you just might not have clarity about you know well i mean the 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 way i think of demonization which i I don't think there's ever like full demon possession the greek word is demonization Mm. and so that gets translated as demon possession i don't think a human being ever completely surrenders his will I think there's times when a demon has pretty much full control. I mean, Uh people will black out and not have consciousness of doing things and that kind of deal. Um, But, like, I think of the gift of the Holy Spirit as that it works the same... The Holy Spirit works the same way as an unclean spirit and that, you know, you'll have times where you'll you'll have something unrighteous going on and you sit there and spin on it, whether it's a conversation, an argument, a lust for something, a desire to buy something or whatever, and you'll sit there and you'll spin on it. You can't stop spinning on it. And it really is like that demon breathing down your neck. Whereas the Holy Spirit is the... He, he breaks that thing and he brings conviction of unrighteousness in the situation. And concerning things that are righteous, he'll make you spin on those things, you know. And there's a there's a quickening to the things of righteousness and, and the truth and, and these kinds of things. And so I think there there is, you know, a a substantial gift in the Holy Spirit that is substantial in its transformation, mm. in which we are freed from the influence of a demon to whatever degree that that is driving us, mm-hmm. you know, whether from the outside, figuratively speaking, or from the inside. I don't know how all that works, but yeah. I think the, the Holy Spirit is definitely, you know, transforms and leads and guides in areas. And you, people, I mean, like, my story was... I I did all kinds of the most heinous things. But I had absolutely no conviction on it. And it, it didn't even phase me. I didn't, like, it, was, it never entered my mind that it was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, I had intense conviction on it. And that, in my mind, is... is the, the work of the Holy Spirit and that I was convicted about <laughs> my daughter keeps calling um, I had intense conviction on it and that wasn't me you know, that was the Holy Spirit and when I'll do something fuzzy and it won't go away, I can't just leave it behind and move on from it, you know like that's the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. like intervening in my way and, and bring conviction and we're all have an idea that just keeps coming a scripture that just keeps coming back to me over and over that's the Holy Spirit you know it's not me I, 
you know, dumb commercials keep coming back to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into truth and those kinds of things. And as far as like, you know, allegiances to spirits and how spirits enter and what are the authorities involved and how do you break yeah. and renounce and all that, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of deliverance ministry. Isn't my healing gift? Isn't my gift? Yeah. But I appreciate those that have it. I yeah. appreciate you know people that have that deliverance. You know, like yeah. I'm a little iffy on some of the hyper charismatic that seems a little witchcrafty. Yeah. It's like if you say it three times, funny, you twist your elbow, <laughs> spit on them, <laughs> bam. You have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm just like... I think (laughs) part of the confusion that I've had in it is just, um, obviously, I I won't ever be able to know the reality in that person's heart who's the victim or whatever. I won't know when the Lord pursued them and, and truth broken or conviction broken. So I have no idea the situation entirely. But from my point of view, it seems like they were such a victim of these things and like the injustice of these things. And, uh, of course their perception is completely skewed. Of course their delusion, you know, they're deluded in so many ways because of, and you, I just, I've heard stories and have known people that have gone through some of the most horrific things and you and then you look at the kind of issues that they struggle in and it and it makes sense that they would struggle in them you know and and so sort of some of the and then when you look at the demonic thing and you you almost want to just something that I've always been confused about and maybe I I it's just something that I'll have to I know I know I trust the Lord in it but something I'll have to know when I when I see him um but it's it's just how what is the depending factor on that person for the issue that they're in? Obviously, the Holy Spirit is able to to break in with truth, and it may just be Romans one is the is the answer to that uh, question. But it's, it's just kind of when I look at these different situations, the thing that rises up is like it feels like that that person is. It's such a victim. Do you know what I'm I'm saying? And and it's like how what is the depending factor of them? Does that make sense? I, and I think something like would help you. Just I don't have any answer on that either. But you know, Shelly Hunley. That's it. Yeah. I, I, have you ever listened to her? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, she's got a pretty dramatic. Yeah. Thing that, and it seems, I don't know, I don't know yeah. if you've read her book on justice, but I didn't read her book. No, I shouldn't. Yeah. I just. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She has a. She at least offers a testimony of somebody who's been through some right. things, and has a real, to me, a real testimony of um, finding freedom through a real clarity of who Jesus is. Yeah. And not a lot of. Right. I don't know. I didn't know if right. you ever listened to her stuff or read her book mm-hmm. on justice or. I don't yeah. know. That's just what came to my mind. Yeah. Kind of the question is provoked just by, you're talking about discipling people and stuff, and it's like, where do I land in some of these things that kind of come up? Because I just don't, obviously I won't ever know the full reality. Obviously there's only so much that I can understand in the situation. Uh, But it, it almost feels that sense of like, what do I think about this? How do I 
answer to that, you know. And yeah, yeah. so I just I didn't know what you thought. I think I, I think it's always going to be a mixed bag. You know, there's always going to be the woman you put me here. She she gave it to me and I ate. And the woman with the little yeah. snake, you know, gave it to me and I ate. Yeah. And the Lord reads it out, and he curses the snake, and curses the man, and curses the woman. And they all have their own degree of responsibility in it. It's not that one is held responsible for the whole thing, but each one is held responsible for their part in it. And I was a chronic thief as a child, and a pervert, and destroyed the lives of a number of young women. And, you know, the reality is, is that it was unjust that a small boy was subjected to really perverse things from a very young age. Yeah. Not my fault. Yeah. But it was my fault for the things I did, you know, and, and no doubt demons were involved along in the whole process. And whether I was demon-possessed or demonized, I, I, don't, I don't know in the equation, but the bottom line is... You know, the, the purpose of the testimony of God in the scriptures is to bring each person to repentance, to mm. a place of accepting responsibility for what they've done in the equation. Yeah. And so that's the overwhelming focus of the scriptures is on the relationship between God and man, not on, well, there's so little on angelology and demonology and what's going on in the heavens, the, the Lord designed the oracles not to focus on those because that's not the point of the whole equation. The point is to get every human being to come to terms with their situation and, and a response of repentance. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, the humanistic thing that happens that yeah. when the gospel is, when the big picture is taken out of focus is that you try to end up exacting justice which isn't the place of us, the bottom line. We end up exacting justice to the demons, the oppressors, and those who have been hurt, and you, you give a false sense of, you know, talking about with the boy, like the uncle and the boy both are in the same boat, you know, and no doubt the uncle was the same victim situation, and, you know, that he went through, usually molesters were molested, and so how do you, where do you draw the line and place the blame, and other than you just got to project that thing to the end, and, you know, like First Peter 3, where, you know, even though he was ridiculed and mocked and beaten, he didn't retaliate, but he entrusted his soul to him who judges justly, and and bore our sins on that tree, and so there's the dynamic of the, the, there's never any way to to play the judge in the situation, and who who receives greater beatings and who should receive fewer beatings, and well, we all deserve infinite beatings, and just give the same gospel to the victim and the victimizer mm. in the situation. That's so good. Thanks. I appreciate what you said. John 3. So John 3 is kind of another one of those passages that gets interpreted as an inaugurational fashion of, of uh, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And the, 
the born again is interpreted as Acts 2, and uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and I think there is a renewing of the heart that 1 Peter 2 has uh, actually uses the, the phraseology of now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word. And so that's in, in light of being redeemed from the empty way of life and that kind of stuff. And so there is the language that refers to born again being now, but I don't think the receiving of the deposit of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is talking about in, in John 3. Just for a, a number of reasons, because the specific language that is the point of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. We'll just read through it right now. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's uh, of a particular group. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. First of all, I would kind of place this like in uh, John 8, where Nicodemus isn't Jesus' buddy in the situation. The purpose of Jesus in the interaction is to confront an issue behind why Nicodemus is, is there. And so, in reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born again, born when he's old, Nicodemus asks. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, right? And so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the response of the Jews in John 8, where they're believing in him, and it's like Jesus declares, if you're my disciple, you'll hold to my teaching, You'll receive the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, I wasn't a, I wasn't yeah. a slave to anyone. Yeah. You know, and it's like, we know you're sent from God, and that you're, you might be the Messiah. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How do you enter a second time into your mother's womb? Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear a sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Okay, so we have something that ought to be obvious to Nicodemus, and ought to be fairly straightforward. And so what's the context? Like, what is Jesus hitting at? And I would argue that Jesus is hitting at the Maccabean perversion to the kingdom of God. That, it, that Nicodemus, as part of the ruling council, is 
watching by observation for the coming of the kingdom of God out in the desert here in the inner rooms, right? And that that's what Jesus is is hammering at is you're Israel's teacher and you don't have an apocalyptic approach to the kingdom of God, you know? And so this is, you know, the language is is so close to 1 Corinthians 15 that because the language is so close and Paul is clearly apocalyptic in his view of, of the return of Jesus and such that you get the... The resurrection of the body, what will it be like? You know, it'll be a spiritual body. You know, there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. It's written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are from heaven. But just as we have been born, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, mm. nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable mortal with immortality. So you get all the same dynamics of flesh and blood. We're, we're born of the earthly man, born of water, because that's you know, how you have babies is in, in water a lot of times and the man of the spirit in the resurrection will be born of the spirit so we're born this time of the flesh by water and we're born at the resurrection a second time by the spirit and, and that's how it happens and so you have the I tell you the truth no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit flesh gives birth to flesh but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit, and so he's confronting the Maccabean, you know, the, the arm of the flesh can rise up and, and usher in the, mm. the kingdom of God and establish, you know, whatever. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And the born, all the born again language is resurrection language. And so this is why I'm saying the, the Maccabean perversion of the kingdom of God makes, to me, makes most sense of the passage like it does Luke 17, where there's this perverted expectation in the strength and glory of man, and that it may come apocalyptically at some point, but it's going to be, you know, begun or ushered in by the strength of man, and, and Jesus is like, no, that's it comes like lightning from the east to the west, like like the flood suddenly, like Sodom and Gomorrah and fire from heaven fell. That's how the kingdom of God God comes, not from you know, here he is or there he is out in the desert. And so then you have a how can you're Israel's teacher but you don't understand this. So Israel's teacher should be able to look at the prophetic passages and see that God rends the heavens and comes down apocalyptically and he doesn't 
you know, slowly anoint one man like Judas Maccabee that rises up and gathers a following and casts off the oppressor. oppressor and that's not how it, the kingdom of God comes about, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you end up with this such a strange, like, mystical, <laughs> you know, you're Israel's teacher, but... You have no hidden knowledge. You have no clue about the spiritual kingdom and these kinds of things. It's like, no, you should be able to read the passages and cast off the perverted idea that is going around in your midst that's been handed down to you. Hmm. So then you get the, you know... I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, we testify of what we see, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things to you? So in that context, you, you, you get kind of the same, you know, like Matthew 16, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God, you know, where the Messiah is only going to be anointed by God and and built up and strengthened and and you know there people were placing on Jesus the expectation that he was anointed he was going to get more and more and more and he was just going to usher in the kingdom of God in a progressive manner and so he says no the Messiah is going to suffer and and be killed at the hands of the Pharisees and Peter's like no this will never happen to you this is this is not how it's going to happen you know and so it, it, you have the language of the earthly things versus the heavenly things and the same kind of perversion that it's spoken to Peter that you have the same language in, in John 3 of earthly things and heavenly things. No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And so then, you, you know, you, you have the same, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, mm-hmm. as in Matthew 16, right? Mm-hmm. But now, the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of the, you know, just as in Moses. So it's got that same kind of flow as, as Matthew 16, where uh, the Son of Man has in mind the things of God rather than the things of man. And of course, the things of man is, is the Maccabean, mm-hmm. the insurrectionist, uh, messianic hope and they for God so loved the world that he gave his only son who uh, perished for God didn't send his son to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he doesn't believe in the name this is the verdict light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of light because of their evil their deeds were evil everyone who does evil, hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has been done has been done through God. So all of that language and the verdict fits into the insurrectionist and condemnation of the insurrectionist hope rather than just kind of a vague spiritual manner on everything. Does that make sense? The passage is admittedly difficult, no doubt, especially the, you know, speaking about earthly and heavenly things, and nobody's seen God except the Son of Man, and it seems very, like, kind of 
yeah. Gnostic, spiritualized, but it's got a lot of the same language as Matthew 16 and the same kind of thrust of the Son of Man is not going to come the way you expect by the flesh. The Son of Man, just like Moses put up the snake in the desert, you know, the whoever would believe in him. But And then you get the kind of contrast between righteousness and wickedness and stuff. So. I've heard of some, some people make the point that born-again language is used exclusively in Jewish contexts in connection to covenant and, you know, just the righteous remnant. Uh-huh. Like calling them like the guys who are like First Peter Jewish, you know, instead of the born again, you get a new Jewish context. John one, I mean John three, Jewish context. So like the guys who really press that piece, you know, what what would you like? I mean, I, I don't have any background on any of that. No, okay. I'm not familiar with it. I, think, I mean, I, I do know that, like, Gentiles, when they became Jews, were considered kind of, that that's where a lot of your new creation language is, has yeah. background in that, you know, that you're now considered a Jew, your old way of life as a Gentile has been cleansed by your baptism, and now you have a new life that, that you're leading. Yeah. And, uh, but... Well, yeah, and you can't just take First Peter and impose that systematically into John right either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Verse 14. I don't know if you already said this, Lord, but it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and so the son then be lifted up. Um, it, it, like, I've heard it say, like, the son and I be lifted up, I think, in other passages. And is that just... I don't really understand what that's referring to. Yeah, I mean, there's the whatever, it's in John 6, where it's when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And so the assumption is being lifted up, you know, on the cross. Okay. In an atonemental fashion. Like the snake was designed as an atonement, you know, object by which the sin was... Uh, transferred in the accounting of God onto the snake by faith, and then you wouldn't die if you believed God and looked at the snake. And so it's a reference to Numbers 16, yeah, okay. 21, whichever one that is. Okay. Snake, snake in the desert. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay